Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speaker and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul, how's it going? Hey, Jackie, it's going pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I know you want to get kicked off and started with the women's team this week, so you want to jump right into it? Yes, let's get started. We have a lot to cover. So... I want to start with the women's team this week. Uh, there's been three games since the last time we covered them, so let's get started on them. But before we do, there's a very special achievement I want to bring up for Fran Kirby, who becomes Chelsea's leading female top scorer. So congratulations. Awesome. Yes, congratulations to her. Uh, and she's achieved that in just about five years. She joined Chelsea in 2015. And in December of 2020, she has now become the top scorer. What a goal machine. Oh, definitely. And and it hasn't come easy. She was out for a majority of last year with an illness that kept her away from football and also actually almost got her to retire. So it's an awesome achievement to see her now bounce back and, and come back and become the top scorer. Yeah, for sure. And so she's now sitting at top of the goal scoring charts for Chelsea women at with 70 goals. And if she keeps up her form, there's just no telling how high and, and how often she's going to be scoring. And so Super Fran and Super Frank are Chelsea's leading goal scorers. What an awesome feeling. Yeah, nice combination there. Yes. And just to touch on some of the games for the women, they've won their last three games since the last time we spoke about them. And so it was a 3-2 win against West Ham, a 5-0 win against Benfica in the Women's Champions League. So great. And most recently, this past weekend, they won 1-0 against Brighton with Sam Kerr getting the goal. Awesome. Yeah, great to see the women performing so well. Exactly. And and hope they continue their good form and, and bring home some titles at the end of the season. Yeah, I wish they could rub some of that form onto the next game for the Chelsea men's team, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we could use Frank Kirby in the men's team. <laughs> <laughs> we need somebody who has that many goals to start up front for us. Yes, for sure. But jokes aside, congratulations to her and wishing her and the rest of the, the squad the very best for the future. Absolutely. Good luck and bring some trophies home. Yes. So moving on from a very positive side to a not so positive side to the men's team, let's jump right into the Everton game. I think we should jump on to another game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, this is the first loss we've got to get to discuss on this podcast. So it's going to be interesting. So why don't you run us through the team that started? Yep. So Mendy in goal, he's been brilliant up until this last game. Um, James in right back, Silva Zuma partnership continues. Chilwell, Kovacic, Kante, and Mount in the middle. Kai Havertz, Werner flanking, and then Giroud right in the middle. So we had predicted this team. It's kind of what we talked about being the first starting lineup, and we nailed it again. Yeah, we did. And I mean, it was a job was made a little bit easy with the injuries in the squad and especially in the wing. So it was. A good lineup. I thought it was enough to get the points, but that didn't happen. And yeah. Everton played their starting lineup without any natural uh, fullbacks. So that gave me even more confidence, but wasn't to be. Yeah. So just to touch on the injuries, we do have sort of three wingers out at this point with Hakim Ziyech out injured, Callum Hatsumadoi injured, and 
Pulisic was fit, but he's having some niggling issues in his hamstring, so he was left at home as well for this one. Yeah, it's that hamstring that keeps bothering him. And even though Lampard said he was fit in his press conference leading up to the game, he didn't he didn't travel. So I'm hoping he was it was just a precautionary measure. Yeah, it'd be sad to see him injured as well, because then we're definitely missing all our wingers going into the busy season. Yeah, yeah. And later on in the podcast, I have a question for you about if we need a new winger just to support them. But let's just touch on the on the game first. So Everton started well. They had an early chance from Richarlison and then a free kick that was put into the box that Mendy did very well to come out and claim. I even texted you at that point that Kepra never did that. But on the way down from claiming the ball, he he catches Reese James. He's a little winded and the physios come on and he carries on. But I think that may have led to the error for the goal. Yeah, I don't know about that. We can talk about that a little more as we get a little closer. I think overall, you are right. As a goalkeeper, he's definitely more physical and definitely somebody who comes out and stakes his claim for the ball and owns that penalty box really well. Yeah, and we've said this about him for the last few games, but in the next piece of action that that happened in the game was Pickford goes long into Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Calvert-Lewin gets his head to the ball ahead of Silva the ball's bouncing into the box. And for some reason, Mendy felt that he had to rush out and clear it or, or you know, just get in the way. But in, instead, he takes Calvert-Lewin down and gives away a penalty. Yeah, so this one's got an interesting discussion behind it. This is the second time in close succession that Mendy has done something along the lines of coming out or not coming out on time where we felt like there was a defender close enough to help with the situation. So in your opinion, is this something to be worried about? I don't think it's something to be worried about, but it is slightly concerning that he felt, in this case especially, I I know the Leeds game, he came out because he wanted to get to the ball first, but in this case, he really didn't have to do anything. Just He just had to hold his ground. Silva had it covered, and Calvert-Lewin was anyway going away from goal, we spoke right. about this. He wasn't on goal. His touch was taking him away. So I, he really, many really just misread the, the whole situation. So I'm not worried about it necessarily, but at some point I'm wondering what we're doing on a coaching level. We had Kepa Andasari, who wasn't the best goalkeeper in the world, but he wasn't the worst goalkeeper in the world. Under Lampard and Lampard's coaching staff, Kepa became abysmal to the point where we went out and found Mendy to replace him. Mendy's been on a brilliant run keeping out a lot of uh, goals, clean sheets, and certain things about how he's coming out of the box to clear the lines. I'm almost wondering if they're coaching him in a different way. And that's something I'm just intrigued to find out a little bit more about. But I think we can allow him to have this one. If this continues, there may be cause for some concern long-term. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the coaching point is very good. And it may be that they've told him if Silva is, you know, the one defending and the ball's coming in behind him come out for it because Silva may be a little bit slower than Zuma. And so that may be something that's weighing on his mind, but really in this case, he didn't have to do that. And I'm sure Lampard and some of the other coaches will have a word with him about it. Yeah. Just a quick point on that before we get hung up too much on it is I would hope they would allow some of these players because Mandy's been in the, in the game quite a bit of time and Silva no need to talk about his history and his experience. Maybe they can communicate and discuss 
who needs to come out for that ball in the future. Yeah, I'm sure within the players themselves, they'll sort it out. So anyway, Sigurdsson scores from the penalty, averaging go one up. And I mean, at that point, they deserved the lead. They they were aggressive and, and came out with a solid game plan of, of controlling the game in, in their half and hitting us on the counter. And that worked for them. Yeah, definitely. I think they were good value for that game. Yeah, and it's not that we didn't have our chances. I mean, right after they scored, Reese James with an awesome hit from a corner and almost scores. Zuma has a chance from a Giroud knockdown. And we really should have gone into halftime level at least. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you don't take your chances, it's going to come back and bite you, and it unfortunately did. Yeah, it did. And and the game got scrappy. It was very stop start. Every foul was called. And so it didn't it didn't benefit the way we wanted to play. But yeah. Second and I think half- Everton Everton did set up for that, to be very honest with you. I think they wanted the game to be kind of broken up so we wouldn't have the fluidity that we're used to. Oh yeah. They even though they played some of their attacking players, their defensive players when we had the ball just block or wall, really. Um but yeah, second half, we started well. You, you could tell Lampard's had a word with the boys. And Mount almost scores from a Pickford error, but his shot hits the bar and goes out. And I mean, I can't really think of many other chances that came after that, after a good start in the second half. In fact, we almost gave away a second penalty. Right. But we're saved by VAR. So thank you, VAR. Um, and then Lampard finally makes some changes, brings on Tammy Abraham for Havertz. Uh, uh, what was your thoughts on that substitution? I think it should happen a lot earlier in the game, to be honest with you, but we can discuss him towards the end of this segment that we're talking about. I just want to touch on the second penalty incident. So you said we almost gave away a penalty. We did give away a penalty. We actually were so poor in that position right there when this happened. We were lucky that it was an offside that VAR came back and overturned the decision. But Ben Chilwell has been very strong overall. But for that particular tackle, I know we were in sixes and sevens and all over the place, but I texted you or I think I remember messaging you, what was Ben Chilwell doing? It was like a rugby tackle. There was no positioning, no sense of calmness. He just kind of bundled over the play and was like, ah, go ahead and score. No, I mean, that was something that was interesting. I think we were so focused on going forward. Everybody's mindset was looking back. But when you're one nail, you want to protect that one nail lead as well. Yeah, Ben Chilwell, we know very well, is a little bit suspect in on his defending. And he's done well so far in his 11 games in the Premier League to not get caught like that. But in this game, I mean, it wasn't just him. Everyone was off. Right. That's a fair point. That's yeah. true. And we, I mean, we did have another chance from a Mason Mount free kick that hits the, the post. And if that's on target, that's 100% going into the bottom corner. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that rounds up our game. We were off. We picked the wrong game to be off, really. And Everton had the fans behind them, and they had that one goal to defend, and they always had the threat on the counter. Yeah, so I really appreciate the level of detail you come up with to give us a review, because honestly, as I was watching the game, I was sitting back saying, what's happening? I know there are things that happen here and there. There's a quick flash. There's a shot from Mason that hits the post and whatnot. But overall, it was just a poor day at the office. And I think Frank Lampard said the same thing, where we just weren't good enough. And Everton set out to be defensive, but also set out to break up our play, hit us on the counter, and, and their game plan worked really well. I just found it a little bit frustrating that we didn't change it up 
to mix it up to make something else happen. And that kind of was a little bit disappointing. But I really appreciate what you've done to get us some detail for this game because I was kind of waiting for something magical to happen and just never did. The game could have gone on for another 90 minutes and we would still be hitting the odd post, ball going out, passing backwards. I just don't think we'd have scored that. It just wasn't our day. Yeah, it just wasn't the the right game to... I don't know. It was it was a very chaotic game. And so I say that because the f- I was watching this game and I had this uneasy feeling inside me that it just wasn't going to be our day. Yeah. And it didn't be- end up being our day. And-, and Lampard, like you said, waited a little too long to make some changes. And so it's a question on him after 17 games unbeaten. This is a wake-up call for everyone, including him, the coaches, and the squad. Right. And the only positive from this game for me was Reese James, or as I call him, Beast James. Yeah, I was going to ask you, there should be some positives. Mason Mount was good overall again. Conte was decent defensively again, which is great. But you are right. Reese James, bar none, was the best player on the pitch for us. And that's saying a lot considering we lost the game. Yeah, he... I think at one point you and I were like, let's just put him on the wing and let him do the attacking piece because he was doing a lot from his defensive position. Yeah, and that's the point we're trying to make is Frank should have changed it up. We should have seen something different. If we don't have wingers, which we've already touched on, that they're injured, Reese does have a brilliant cross in him. Slide him further up the pitch, go three at the back, bring Aspiliqueta on, change it up. And you know, I don't want to take away from his moment, but he was every cross he put in defensively, even in the midfield helping out, he was just brilliant. Yeah, he even at one point took a free kick that almost went in. And yep. he was overall very dominant in him in his performance. And I remember towards the end, uh, Everton had a counter and the person running back on Richarlison was Reese James. So yeah. uh, he was full of energy. And, and I think he really wanted to drag us back into this game, but he just couldn't. Yeah, so I think we are seeing some positives and we're we're picking at scraps over here but you're looking at a spine being built slowly this is the spines of the Chelsea that had success over the the, you know several years in a decent goalkeeper provided we see that the mistakes stop Zuma is looking decent overall and Reese James is looking brilliant you've got Mount Conte is a little bit on the older side but again building up that spine so overall there is some positives to pull out of this game yeah and and apart from that one mistake by Mendy the the other positive is the defense really wasn't stretched or struggled right right so i think we we can take this as a one off and we put it behind us and go 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 up again yeah and you asked me a question earlier which i said let's save to the end of the segment which was about kai havertz he came off in the 60 out minute um for changing over for not in my opinion he was okay but let's talk a little bit about him what do you think about kai havertz and how he's performed not just in this game but overall yeah so i have to be fair and last season I criticized Pepe at Arsenal after his big move and so I have to use the same energy towards Kai Havertz now obviously I realize and I want to give this disclaimer up front before I get into what I have to say is he's coming into a new league and he's had COVID and we know COVID affects you long term and so I understand all of that but what I don't understand is how do you not do the basic stuff as a football player that is just passing number of times in that game he passed the ball too short allowed Everton back to put the pressure on us 
I mean, the only significant thing I think he did in that game was run back when we were under pressure and try to do his defensive duties. And you texted me about that. And I was like, well, we didn't pay 70 odd million <laughs> for a attacking midfielder to come back and do his defensive work. Yeah. So, so I think honestly, that was one of the reasons I'm texting you that is because I also look for the positives in the game. The game overall was scrappy. Kai Havertz was not very good. We can talk a little bit more about him overall, but I am looking for the positives that he does keep trying and trying and trying to defend do you think it had something to do for this particular game of him playing out of position, maybe? Yeah, so I, I did some research, right? And he is traditionally a number 10 playing behind the striker. But for Bayer Leverkusen, where he made his name, he played as a number 10, but always drifted to the right and cut in from the right and used his left foot. So you're telling me that as a number 10, he goes to the right anyway, but as a right winger, he can't do those things. That right. doesn't make sense and add up to in my mind. And for him to every damn time wait for Reese James to overlap him and just play it to him was like, you're basically as the defender, you know what this guy is going to do. You were giving him nothing to think about as the defender. And, and that was my whole concern with him was you've got the quality, you've got the body, you've got the strength. Use it to your advantage. Don't just let Reese James come and become your outlet for you every time. So it sounds like you're getting a little bit upset towards Kai Havertz. So let me try and play devil's advocate. I, by the way, I do agree with everything you're stating because I watched the same game. I didn't think he was good enough. However, let's talk about it as a whole now, not just with Everton. He came into a new league. You've stated that he is young. He's 21. You've stated that the league is very physical. So understanding that he's not maybe ready for that. Does some of this blame shift to the coaching staff and Frank Lampard? And the reason I'm asking this question is when you come in, they should be coaching you and prepping you to understand that it's more of a physical game. So get ready to be pushed around, get ready to run harder. But also, if you are not ready, why is he playing him? If his best position is not the wing, why is he playing him? I, I understand and accept that we have injury issues. But this could have been a game, which we've seen earlier on, where you change the, the formation or easily slide in Kovacic or Jorginho into the middle and stick Mason Mount on the wing, which we've seen him play in the wing many times in, in his Chelsea career. That's, uh, that's the point I'm trying to bring up is, is all of this solely on Kai Havertz or do we have external factors to play into this? Yeah, it's got, I mean, it's got to be a little bit of both, right? I, you can't just say Kai Havertz is solely to blame. There's there's coaching and tactics that are being worked on week in, week out. But for us to say, let's move Mount to the right when he's doing excellently in the middle of the park seems unfair to Mount just because we know Mount will put in that effort regardless of where he plays. And I'm not saying I expect Kai to be scoring every game from the wing. Now, I know he's out of position and I get that. But my argument is do the basic things right. And that will help you get better and grow into the game. Don't And that was just very frustrating to watch. He lost the ball a number of times. He just seemed like he didn't want to be there. And then he comes off and he's just very like lackadaisical for a better term. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not against him. I want him to succeed. I want him to be the player that we, we, we saw at Leverkusen. But I'm afraid that we're going to hit a slippery slope like we did with Murata, like we did with Bakayoko, 
because in England, the league and, and, and the press stay on you so much that once your form goes and, and mentally you're affected, it, you just don't recover from it until you go somewhere else. So I knew you were going to bring up people like Morata and Bakayoko. So I came with my little bit of evidence this time on other players that unfortunately have not been given the chance who are who were younger and were quickly forced out of Chelsea. So the first name that always pops to my head, because when we have this debate about Tammy Abraham or Giroud, I'm like, what about Romelu Lukaku? Because we let him go. So we signed him for like 17 million plus add-ons. He went to West Brom and loan, scored 17 goals in 38 games for somebody who was not good enough for our team. Fine, that's all right. Went on loan to Everton, scored 16 goals in 33 games. Now we've taken him a step up into a bigger club, get it? Not not good enough, sold him off. He was sold for 28 million. We did make a return. In 166 games for them, he scored 87 goals. And this is from struggling Everton. Made an 80 million plus transfer to Man United. And in 96 games, scored 42 goals. And after that has gone on to be successful with Inter. Moving on to Mohamed Salah, another young one that we got. In one season and a couple of games, in 19 games he played for us, he scored two goals, wasn't good enough. Went off to Florentina, 26 games, nine goals. Roma, 83 games and 34 goals. Joined our arch rivals, Liverpool, and blew up into the player we know today. I think he's at 107 or 108 goals in 170 appearances. And then one, when we talk about midfielders, when we're light on midfielders or somebody who could play wing, for example, we went and spent 70 million on Kai Havertz. We had Kevin De Bruyne that we sold, and now he's playing for Man City in 235 games, 59 goals. I mean, in 165 EPL games, he scored, has made 72 assists, which is ridiculous. And so I know you've already stated you are pro Kai Havertz and he's young and he needs time, but I'm just reiterating to everybody listening. He does need time. He does need a little bit of support and patience. And honestly, if he's not performing, sometimes the best thing to do for the young man is actually pull him off and let him sit on the bench for a little bit. He understands that he's come to a different league. And hopefully that makes that connection to the coaching staff and Frank and Kai himself. Well, you really threw all these players at me. (laughs) (laughs) All all I mentioned was Murata and (laughs) Bakayoko. Look, there's a list that goes on, and you know Chelsea have gone through the revolving door of not giving players chances. So I understand you have an appreciation for this player. I just want everybody to know where we stand as as a whole. Is He just wasn't good enough. Let's be very honest. He just wasn't good enough. And overall, for a player that's 71 million, he hasn't been good enough overall as well. But it doesn't mean we need to abandon faith in the young man. No, and, and I'm not saying that's it. I'm, Kai Havertz is done in my books. It's ridiculous for me to say that after 12 games. But what I am saying is he's got to improve and do the yeah. basic things a lot better before he thinks about going and scoring and assisting and and, and doing the, the more glamorous side of the game. That's all I'm saying. 100% agree. I think you're spot on on that. We just have to give him a little bit of time. Yes, and hopefully that doesn't mean loaning him out because <laughs> <laughs> let me get the list for the next podcast on how many players we have on loan. Yes. But yeah, so I mean we have another game coming up and I'll give you my starting eleven for that. But let's just talk about some of the other results from the Premier League this weekend. And let's get started with the snooze fest that was the Manchester Derby. Do you know Overall, the Premier League this weekend was just something different. But I watched that game and it was one of those, another one of those games where they could have played for another two years nonstop. You could have subbed out the entire team. We talk about five subs in the past. That game was going nowhere. 
And you're talking about two quality sides. I know we've been a little bit harsh on Man United in recent times, but two quality sides full of brilliant players. And that game was going nowhere. It really was going nowhere. Yeah, both managers, I think, were afraid of losing. And so they decided, let's just play it very cautious. And if we nick it, we nick it. Otherwise, we get a point and we move on. And yeah, I think you said it right. Both managers were very cautious and just crossed each other off to play for the point. Yeah. And I mean, for United, they don't lose at home. And so that helps them with that stat. But uh, and for City, they they stopped the, con- the three consecutive losses they've had to United. So that helps them with that. And everyone's happy and they move on. And the only one unhappy is Roy Keane because he's seeing players hug at the end of a Manchester derby. <laughs> no, and to a certain degree, we are a little bit unhappy because I honestly wanted an exciting game. I predicted City was going to win 3-1. And you actually predicted the opposite, that United would win 3-2. Who would have thought there were no goals scored in this game? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Nikesh and right before the game started, I was like, what's your prediction? And he goes, 3-1 City. Right, and so I was like, "Oh, I, you know, you and Jackie are on the same page." And I was like, "Watch it be zero zero, just out of <laughs> out of a joke." And he goes, and he was like, "No, that 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 won't happen." And then it ended up zero zero. Yeah, but so yeah, like you said, magic of the Premier League. Let's move on to the next game that we thought was going to go a certain way, and it it didn't. Was Crystal Palace versus Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, and that game ended up being one one, another draw. Nothing too special, nothing too major to report on. We, again, got this very, very wrong. I predicted it being 3-0 for Tottenham Hotspur because I'm saying, hey, how are you going to stop Harry Kane and Human Song putting the goals in and having a system around the corner? But no, and you went for 2-1. Two Spurs, a little more conservative. But, you know, I think, honestly, something we touched on is having fans at home backing you, praising you, moving you forward is really assisting some of, no disrespect, but some of these smaller clubs even Everton was the same thing. We're having those fans there and praising you and cheering you on. And on the counter side of that is when the opposition team gets the ball, the boos that ring around those stadiums. And for 2000 fans, there is an echo guys. There's a huge echo when you watch these games and I'm sure it's putting a lot of pressure on the, on the teams. Yeah, definitely. It's the, having the fans back has, has you can see has changed the way teams played away from home now and at home. And in the Everton game, even the referee was influenced by the the home fans, by just the boos and and the calls. So, um, yeah, and Crystal Palace put in a good performance and Spurs had a few chances, but I think a 1-1 was fair. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and just moving on to the the same theme of fans, Fulham versus Liverpool, fans were back. And I know you predicted a big win for, for Liverpool, but I did say that I think Fulham score in this game mainly because of the fans but they went ahead and did one better and got a tie yeah I predicted 4-0 because in my mind where is Fulham going to come up against a goal or even hold back Liverpool to that layer and you went ahead with a 3-1 prediction and and it ended up being a 1-1 draw not that Liverpool didn't play well they did start off pretty slow in the beginning in fact if you watch the games or go back and watch the highlights Jurgen Klopp can be seen screaming and berating his players in that first half for just not being good enough. Unfortunately, that seems to be the theme of the weekend with some of the bigger teams overall from Lampard not happy, Jose Mourinho not happy. In the Manchester derby, they, you can argue they were happy with the draw, but just nothing amazing happening. And it just ended up being 1-1. A little bit interesting towards the end with the controversial penalty where when Liverpool got a free kick and tried to put that into the goal, Fulham jumped up. The gentleman himself lifted his arm, which, again, it's very, very debatable. But 
it goes in and gets out, gets assigned as a penalty, and they score from that Mohamed Salah again. So, Liverpool back. <laughs> That's a good one. You're doing well with these puns lately. I, that first penalty that on Fabinho that wasn't given for Fulham was ridiculous. And, yeah, and I have the opposite opinion on that, so I can understand the debate about it. But the second one that's given to Liverpool, it's just interesting how to see that. Yeah, I mean, like, so let's just talk about the second one for a second. How do you expect a player to jump up without some hand movement? Right. And that's really where the whole controversy of this de- decision comes in is when you lift your body for a jump, naturally your arms go away from your body to lift up. I think where the whole it's a handball comes in is when he twists his body and his arm comes in front of him. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the, that's what the lower, the referees gave it for anyway, but Liverpool away from home, haven't won a game in, in the last five games. We touched on them beating us at home a few episodes ago, but since then they've lost to Aston Villa tied with Everton tied with Man City tied with Brighton. And now again, another tie. So for a team that was flying last season home and away, there are some cracks and maybe it is the injuries, but you think they have enough in their front forwards to get a, get the job done. Yeah. I think cracks is a good word because forget injuries for a moment. There was actually an interesting topic that occurred where Trent Alexander Arnold was substituted for a younger player. I forget his name right now and I don't want to say the wrong name. And Trent Alexander-Arnold apparently did not high-five this player or handshake this player, whatever it may be. And Jurgen Klopp got pretty visibly upset at Trent. In fact, Trent was also sulking on the sidelines. And it was kind of interesting because Fulham is such a small stadium. They actually have these pop-up chairs that he's sitting on the sideline sulking. But it's just interesting when you say the word cracks because something like that could be brushed off if you're winning 5 nil. Hey, Trent's tired. He just needs to go run and sit down. But when you're struggling everything seems to get magnified. Yeah, and that says a lot about what Trent thinks, you know, how he could have influenced the game. Right. And so, and I mean, on the flip side, Klopp might be saying, hey, listen, we have Spurs coming up on Wednesday. I need you to be fit. So, yeah, it could be a little bit of both, but let's move on to the next game, which we both predicted different results and it ended one way which was the win for Burnley but Arsenal are just a slippery slope here yeah I don't want anybody listening to us to think that we hate on teams that are not Chelsea we are the premier Chelsea we love Chelsea we've already stated that we were giving Man United a little bit of a hard time but something is not right I don't know how many other ways to say this I think several podcasts ago we talked about disciplinary issues what was Granite Jaka doing today a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> no, but see, yeah, like, I don't know. Arsenal, they're unbeaten. They've won all five games in Europe, and that's well and good. But, like, come on, that's the freaking Europa League. Come to the Premier League, and they're sitting in 15th and haven't scored in, like, what, four or five games? Like, from, you know, they scored against Wolves, but that was one goal. They haven't scored more than one goal in four or five games. And they've scored a total of 10 games after 12 Premier League games, which is their lowest at this stage since 1982. Yeah, they're in shambles. Honestly, I heard something funny today. I don't know if you heard this. Patrice Evra came with, out with a comment 
that several years ago, Thierry Henry had invited him over to watch an Arsenal game at home, turn on the game and saw Granit Xhaka being the captain of Arsenal. And he switched off the television saying, I can't watch with this fellow being the captain of my team, which it tells you something interesting. And you and I've had this debate, I think it was quite on our quite recent podcast about Mikel Arteta, where you, you think he needs to go out. And I've been under the impression that he needs a refreshing of the squad. And honestly, from my perspective, things like this kind of make me feel like my point is right. He needs a refreshing of the squad. Oh, and Obama Young scored today, but in the wrong goal. I mean, what else can go wrong for them? Hey, that was that was a goal. He's going to count it. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I, let's just touch on the Xhaka thing that Henri said. They bought Xhaka the same summer we bought N'Golo Kante. And I, in fact, I think they paid more for Xhaka. I may be wrong and don't quote me on it, but I think it was 5 million or so more. And since then, he's had issues with the fans. He's had issues with some teammates. He's got red cards. And today he's showing so much aggression for a foul he committed anyway. Right. Show that aggression in your team. Push people over. Tell your teammates to be better. Like do something that benefits your team instead of trying to choke a Burnley player. Like that's totally ridiculous. It made no sense. And this is really something they need to investigate because if it's happening in multiple games with multiple different players, the team is just not right in the background. Yeah, there's there's disciplinary issues. I think that's six red cards since Arteta took over about a year ago, which is almost double than any other team has in the same time period. So it's it's a mess and it doesn't get better for them. I think this was their one game where they could have gotten some points and and tried to move up because they they now face in their next three games Southampton, Everton and Chelsea. Yeah, this could get ugly for Arsenal really really quickly, really quickly. Yeah. So And it's not looking pretty right now like you said they're sitting in 15th. So if their next few games don't go well, Again, I've been a supporter of Mikel Arteta. I think he can do something different, provided he's given the right players. But like you said, if things don't change and they're hovering around relegation, it's just, it's not looking good. Yeah, speaking of relegation, they sit closer to relegation than they do to the top four. Yeah, that's so, right. And they've now fighting with teams like Brighton. No disrespect to any of these teams. Brighton, Burnley, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield. So it's it's a tough month of fixtures coming up and again for them. And they really need to find some form and, and get going. Now, my only concern is they find this form or they make this change right before the Chelsea game. And <laughs> then, yeah, they can they can find it after that game. I'm OK with that. Yeah, me too. So real quickly before we move on, I just want to review the table just to see how all of these Weird results have resulted in things. That's a horrible way to say it. But overall, Tottenham Hotspur sitting up top, which Jose Mourinho is continuing with his magic, even though it's a draw. They sit in 25 points, tied with Liverpool, just ahead on goal difference. Leicester City pop into third on 24 points. Southampton fourth with 23 points. Chelsea in fifth with 22 points. Then you've got West Ham, Everton, and Man United, with Man United having a game in hand on 20 points. And Man City is not too far away with 19 points sitting in ninth. So it's a pretty tight table. We talked about Man United having, you know, bad form. They have a game in hand. And if they win their game in hand, they're right up there. 
So it's a very tight table. It just goes to show if you lose a game this part of the season, how quickly the tables can turn. Like we said, and we've been saying all episode, that's the magic of the Premier League. A few results, even one in this case, and you're, as for Chelsea, out of the, the top four. For West Ham, you're right up there after beating Leeds. For Everton, who we just said last week were right. out of form and now sitting in seventh. And so it's just, you just can't predict what happens in, in the next, like I said, next three, four weeks with all these games coming up will help someone pull away or just get even tighter. Yeah, and I hope that it goes to the latter because honestly, I think this is the closest Premier League chase I've seen in a long time. So if we get to around the Christmas period and all of these teams are up there or right about there, it's going to make for a lovely sprint towards the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I know a few episodes ago I said I wish Chelsea just pulled clear, but I, I may have been a little carried away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You're allowed to get excited. But yeah, let's now let's talk about this upcoming midweek fixtures. And it's a quick turnaround from, from these from the weekend and our games on Tuesday against Wolves away. Yeah, and Wolves are a good team. I know we've talked about them in, in depth, especially when Rahul Jimenez had an injury. Good update on that is he's actually doing well. He's visited the Wolves ground. So he may be out for several months. However, we're really happy to hear that he's up and moving and actually back to the grounds and being with his teammates. Yeah, it was just a few weeks ago he had the fractured skull, but it's very good to see him back in, in not in training, but just back home. And it was a good touch from the Wolves fan to put a whole display for him right behind one of the goals. And so he's valued there and then rightly so. Yep, for sure. So do you want to take us through what you think our predicted lineup will be? Yeah, I just want to touch on the form of these two teams. So both sure. teams come into this game on the back of a loss on back of a loss from a penalty. So Wolves lost to a 90th minute penalty and we obviously lost to a penalty in the first half. And Wolves have now lost their last two games and Chelsea lost their last one and won the last one. And Joao Moutinho got a red card in the last game. So he's out. Chelsea's three wingers, we've mentioned Ziyech, Hudson-Odoi, and Pulisic may be out. Uh, so some some missing key members from the starting 11. But I think Mendy's got to keep his place. Uh, Beast James has got to keep his place. Uh, Silva and Zuma. And I think Chilwell starts, but maybe Emerson could get the start too. So yeah, that's a good that's a good shout because if Chilwell is not performing to the standards, not that he's been bad by any means. However, that shaky tackle, even though it was not ruled a penalty, is just showing me some signs that he may need to be worried about competition creeping up because Emerson has performed well when called upon. Yeah, I agree. And and with maybe Traore playing that down that wing against our left back, whoever plays will have to be focused and, and physical. And so Emerson may not be a bad choice. But anyway, coming into midfield, I think Kovacic, Conte, and Mount. And up front, Tammy. I think Giroud could use the rest, maybe. Uh, Werner. And I'm going to go with Tino, Andrew, and to start this game. I, I've said how I feel about Kai playing the wing. And so if Pulisic isn't ready, then then put Tino in and let him bring something different to the squad. Wow, I thought I had uh, made you feel better about Kai Havertz, but apparently the hostility still remains. <laughs> no, like you think you said it too. Let him let him sit on the bench for some time, and 
it's better than me saying Alonso play. <laughs> yeah, true. Honestly, for me, if Pulisic does have fitness and he's ready to go, even if it's just a precautionary thing, we need him. The last game to me showed that we need some energy to come into the team and some crosses and some burst of pace and different things. So as much as young man Tino has been good and he did okay on his debut, for me, Pulisic would come in. Tammy Ojuru is a toss-up. I'm okay with either or. So the only thing I would say is I would bring in Pulisic provided he's provided he's fit. Yeah, the, that's the key. If he's not fit, I I leave him in London again and, and make do with whoever is available. But are you okay with Tammy starting over Ojuru? Yeah, I don't think he's been brilliant when he's come off the bench, but you're right. I think Giroud could use a little bit of a rest. He's pushing his age up there. He's done decent when he's called upon. I do like his link-up play, but definitely not a problem for Tammy to start and then maybe Giroud coming on later. Either Again, it's a toss-up. It should be fine. Yeah, and Tammy scored a hat-trick in this fixture last season, so maybe he's got that in him for a goal or two against Wolves. Yeah, if anybody needs a couple of goals, it will definitely be this young man just to get his confidence going and back into the, the foreplay of the game. Yeah, so what's your predicted score? Do you know, it's going to be a tough game because even though Wolves are missing their star striker, I think they've been good overall. I know they're coming in off some losses, but they did lose to Liverpool and Aston Villa, who are no easy teams by any means. For me, I would just be happy with a 1-0 win for this particular game. Yeah, I think a 2-1. So tight game again. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping Mendy can get out of the slump of getting into some mistakes. So we just prove that he's going on the right path. Yeah, and if if we drop points again, it's obviously we know the implications of of the table, but even just with the fixtures coming up, we need some good form going into them and and whatever's happened in the past with the 17 games, it's it's done with. We've got to think about the future and we need to stay on it. Yeah, completely agree with you. So let's touch on some of the other games. So we've spoken about Arsenal. Let's They're facing Southampton, which will be another tough game for them. And it's at the Emirates. And with 2,000 fans there, that didn't really do much today. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the picture of one fan using his mask all over his eyes. Hey, he fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and other fans leaving before the final whistle. So it's it's going to be hostile for Arsenal in their own stadium. And that and makes. You know, I was let, just going to say, say that, something about that because honestly, you're talking about fans that haven't been to games in in nine months. In nine months, fans have not been into a stadium, able to experience the joy that is watching live football. So for them to leave early, <laughs> after not watching a game live for nine months, it tells you something. They are not happy. So maybe these two thousand fans may not be in favor of Arsenal. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's they, they're going to make it tough for them. And if Arsenal go a goal down early or, or first, it's only going to get a, a steeper climb for them. But what, what do you think happens? So honestly, when we're talking about Burnley, I said I don't see how Arsenal scored. They did score, just it was an own goal, and they ended up losing 1-0. Southampton are in red-hot form. I think they're going to beat Arsenal 3-0. Yeah, Southampton are in very good form, and... I, they have goals in them, but I think whenever we think Arsenal are going to lose heavily, they they pull it out, and so I'm going for a two-two. Okay, it should be a fun watch then. It's yeah, it definitely should be. I'm going to skip over the next one. Let's we'll come back to it. But Fulham Brighton is the next one on our list. So if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, honestly, I would put all my money on Brighton, but Fulham seem to have got some rhythm. 
in the last couple of games. So I think they're going to get this one 2-0, especially with the fans at home. Yeah, I agree. A Fulham win maybe a little bit closer, a 2-1, but they've got some good players and he's got the formation going for them now with Loftus-Cheek playing and, and Lookman playing. And I forget their striker's name who scored today, but he's looking good too. Dakure, yeah. Yeah, so maybe an FPL option for people looking for a striker. I'll try and negotiate with some of the other strikers first. I'm just not, I'm not so convinced just yet about Fulham, but I think they're in a run of form. So hopefully they continue with that. Yes, I agree. And then the next game is Sheffield United, bottom of the table, coming up against Manchester United, the kings of playing away from home. Yeah, I think it's just going to be 2 0 to Man United. I really, really feel bad for Sheffield United. But they're just, they seem to not be able to get out of what they're in right now. It's almost like an Arsenal situation again, but yeah, 2 0 to Man United. Yeah, I think a United win here, 3-0 for them. And the the pressure is getting getting on Sheffield and Chris Wilder. And I know I said it last week, but it's I think it's a matter of time before they bring in someone that can get them to stay in this league. Yeah, sadly, I agree with you. Yeah, but and the last game, a top of the table clash between first place Spurs and second place Liverpool and Jose Mourinho going up against Klopp at Anfield. So before I give my prediction, why don't we talk a couple of minutes about this game? Is this game going to be critical in the title decision race? I know we've just talked about how tight it is up there. I I wouldn't say critical because there's still a lot of soccer to be played. But if Spurs get the win out of this, you could bet your life that this is going to be one of those moments where Jose Mourinho inside the locker room is going to say, guys, we've just beat the champions. We're top of the table. We're clear. We have some breathing room. We can do this. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. Jose Mourinho has that aura about him where if things are going in the right direction, he knows how to motivate the players to continue on and just use this as a springboard going into the holiday period. And on the flip side, you've got Liverpool who are still struggling with injuries. So if this doesn't go well for them, it might be the the tanking period for them. But I think it's going to end 1-1. I just think it's going to be super tight for this particular game. Both managers, Liverpool will like to attack, I I know, but Tottenham Hotspurs just have that solid defensive ability to them. We've seen them beat Arsenal. We've seen them draw with us. We've seen them beat Manchester City, who are all very good teams. So, Yeah, I, I agree. I think a draw in this case would be good for both teams. And like you've said, Jose Mourinho is going to keep it tight and use his weapons in Son and Kane on, on the on the counter. And it really comes down to what defensive partnership does Klopp play that right. can that can stall uh, Spurs and in their counterattacks. But one one seems a, a fair result at least at this point. Yeah, and it helps Chelsea to be very frank with you if none none of the other teams are going too far ahead of us. Yeah, well, I mean we've got to handle our business, but. Other teams can keep keep stalling a little bit. <laughs> Agreed. So uh, it'll, it's going to be a fun midweek round of fixtures, and, and I'm looking forward to it. And then our next game after that is Everton. So we'll come back with another podcast to to review the Wolves result and preview the uh, – not Everton, sorry, West Ham. Right. Yep, we have West Ham next, and it'll be another tough game with what Moyes is doing with them. But we'll be back for that, and – and that wraps up our podcast for today. And yeah, this has been a fun one. We've had great discussions today. Yeah, it's it's been fun and it's been, I want to say energetic. I felt 
uh, felt passionate about some of the topics we've discussed. Yeah, it's the magic of the Premier League, my friend. <laughs> it is. I, I thought you were going to say it's the magic of Kai Havertz. <laughs> no, I can't let you hate on him anymore. <laughs> so, as always, we love to hear your feedback. We appreciate and love the comments we've been getting uh, and the reviews and, and, and just the overall shout-outs we've been getting. Uh, I think It's Nelson was the recent one on Instagram, so thank you for that. Uh, keep them coming, guys. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Premier Chels. And continue to subscribe and send us your feedback, and let's grow the Premier Chels together. Thank you. Bye, all. <laughs>